Welcome to Feathers in My Hair, a Teen Mom Deep Dive podcast. I'm your host, Liz Bentley. Hi, everyone. It's raining pretty hard out right now, and I don't think the mic is picking it up, but honestly, I kind of would like to make the mic to pick it up, and then I could call this an ASMR podcast. <laughs> Wouldn't that be fun? Hi, everyone. How are we? I'm doing pretty well, actually, today. I woke up in a good mood, played my Animal Crossing this morning. My county is moving to a yellow phase next week, which I don't know. Is that good? Well, two weeks, June 5th. And today is, what, the 22nd or something? My birthday is next week. So like a week after my birthday. Is that good? Yeah, I think so. Does that mean I'll be going back to work? I don't know. I don't know if I'm ready to go back to work. (laughs) I I don't know about anything. But I'm feeling pretty good, and we have some drama this week, guys. (laughs) There is some drama, and I am ready to talk about it. Are you all ready to talk about it? Let's start with Kale, David, and Janelle, and all of the drama that's going on there. So, for people that don't remember, David in the past has fat-shamed Kale, because David is an asshole. I will say, however, that a lot of the things that David says and people get mad at are very similar to the things that I regularly read on Twitter, on Reddit, on Facebook about the cast members, (laughs) like all the time. Um, Is it worse coming from David? Yeah. And I'll agree that it's worse coming from David because he actually knows them or has met them. And I've always said that. It is different when somebody on the cast attacks another cast member. Like when I when Randy will come at the cast members, I always say, well, it's different than what we do because he actually knows them. So I will acknowledge that I do agree that it's very different when David does it than when like random anonymous people on Reddit or Twitter do it. However, the same people that I see, because I know their usernames, getting mad at David leave the same exact type of comments as him. So that is just like a funny little thing that I noticed that happens online. But David has fat shamed Kale a lot. Now, if you guys don't know, Janelle's gotten fat in the last, I don't know, eight months to a year. Janelle's put on probably about 30 to 40 pounds is a lot to gain in a year. Sure. Is it alarming to me? No. Like, people are losing their fucking minds over, like, Janelle's body now. And I personally don't understand why they're so, like, flipped out by it. People are like, she put that on overnight. But, like, she really didn't. If you go back and look over, like, the last year of pictures ever since she had that surgery, um, you can see that she just, like, starts to steadily gain weight. Janelle is also very short, and she's somebody like me who's also very short who holds her weight in her stomach. So it's not the most flattering way to gain weight. She is wearing a lot of the same clothes, so it's very noticeable. She's not dressing in larger sizes, literally wearing the same bathing suits. And people are losing their minds. I don't really see the big deal in it. I guess it's because I'm fat, so I don't really care if somebody gets fat. Like, it's just, it's, it doesn't mean anything about Janelle or Janelle's, who Janelle is. It doesn't mean anything about David. It doesn't, like, it doesn't mean anything other than the fact that she's gained weight. Janelle eats like shit. Janelle eats like complete shit, and she's had a really stressful year. 
Remember, we are like, we just hit a year on the nugget thing, on the kids getting taken, on her leaving David, her coming back to David. Like, is it surprising to me that Janelle could gain 30 or 40 pounds post the surgery when like her entire life falls apart in the course of a couple months? Like, no. Is it healthy? Like, no, of course it's not healthy to gain 40 pounds in one year. I'm not saying it's healthy. I just don't think it's remarkable. I think that's the difference. I don't think there's anything remarkable about Janelle's gain weight, but people are losing their fucking minds over it. I think there's also an element of people being very angry that Janelle dares to be fat. I don't know. Maybe you can disagree with this. My opinion is that People don't like fat people, right? They don't like fat people existing. They just don't like fat people. And I think it makes people very upset that Janelle dares to be fat and isn't getting new clothes, is still wearing bikinis, is wearing shit that's unflattering, and seems fine with it. I think that really bothers people. I think people have a really big problem with people who gain weight or people who are fat who don't dress for their body or dress for their size. I think it really angers people. I'm, I don't really understand why. Like, I think it's totally natural to look at Janelle in a bikini that she wore when she was 40 pounds lighter and be like, well, that doesn't look very good. Like, that's a fair observation. I, it would be crazy for me to be like, how dare you even have an opinion on her body? Like, I'm the least, like, I'm not the most judgmental bitch to ever exist. Like, I, I totally understand, like, looking out and being like, whoa, Janelle's gained weight, like, because it is pretty jarring. She does look different than she ever has, especially when you are looking at her and clothes that are too small or too tight. Like, yeah, I get that. But people seem so fucking mad about it in a way that I can't comprehend. I don't, like, the rage level that comes from Janelle daring to be fat and not apologetic about it, I think really, really upsets people because I think people see being fat as a moral failure and gaining weight as a moral failure. And I think that they already think that Janelle is so immoral and awful that her daring to not be apologetic and to have confidence over her body that they deem not okay really enrages people. I think in general, people have a big problem with fat people who don't care that they're fat. (laughs) And don't, like, aren't constantly, like, trying to lose weight and don't care that their clothes aren't as flattering as they could be. And Janelle still wants to wear the same bikini. Like, who cares? And post it online. Like, who cares? And that Janelle dares to dance on TikTok when she's fat. Like, really, really gets people. And I've noticed people just, like, lashing out at it. And I really do think that they see this as another example of a moral failing of Janelle. And that's why they're so angry about it. I personally just think it means that she gained weight. Like I think I I think I'm so neutral on what her body looks like and that like yeah she's gained weight. Yeah, a lot of her clothes don't look good. But it does it's just like a like kind of how when I'm like making fun of Chelsea's makeup or clothes and I'm like wow, her makeup looks bad. Those clothes are ugly. Like that's how I feel when I look at Janelle's like two tight bikinis like oh, that doesn't look good. That's too small. It doesn't anger me. It's just like something that's like worth up, like worth observing and laughing at. And it's just a thing. I really feel like those are equal levels, but the rage that people feel towards Janelle's body is a little startling to me. Also, I mean, let me also acknowledge, I understand where people are coming from in that they feel like it's very hypocritical of her to get fat because she has 
fat shame people in the past. She called Randy a fat fuck. And because David, her husband, was making fun of Kale. So a lot of people were bringing up Kale. And it's like, how dare David call Kale fat that now and now Janelle's fat. I think this is like such a fucked up line of thinking. I can't. Those those two things don't go together to me. Like, David being a fucking dickhead that fat shames people doesn't have anything to do with Janelle's body. And Janelle could weigh 400 pounds and he would still come for Kale and call her fat. Because he's an asshole that's just doing what he can to, like, get under Kale's skin. And I think equating Janelle's body to what David said to Kale, it... I get why people are doing it. I do get that. And Janelle is like choosing to publicly and privately align herself with David. So when she stands by David fat shaming Kale, it is Janelle like complicitly agreeing to fat shaming Kale. I do understand that. But I also, I don't think it somehow makes the fat shaming worse or worth talking about again or I I'm, I can't really express what I'm trying to say, but I've seen this idea basically that Janelle getting fat is like karma for the way that David spoke about Janelle. And I just have a major, major issue with the idea that people getting fat could be karma because getting fat is not a moral failure. <laughs> and it's not like that. That's why I'm like having trouble getting from A to B. And I... I do understand what people are saying when they say that. I just personally don't agree with it. It's just not something I agree with. It's not something I can get behind. Like I said, I just don't think Kale's, like David fat shaming Kale really has nothing to do with Janelle's body. And like Janelle, Janelle getting fat after like standing by her husband fat shaming Kale doesn't really mean anything because... <laughs> Janelle's body has nothing to do with what David said about Kale because what David said about Kale is like a singular attack on Kale and he's just doing it to be mean to Kale and like Janelle now being fat doesn't somehow make what David said worse or it doesn't make like it doesn't because if you're saying that what you're really saying is that it was okay for him to fat shame her when he had a thin wife. At least that's how I feel. Like, if you say Janelle getting fat is karma for what David said about Kale, then, like, what you're saying is that as long as Janelle is thin, then, like, David is justified in calling Kale fat and body shaming her, which is not the case. (laughs) Like, it doesn't fucking matter what Kale or what Janelle looks like when David is coming at Kale's body because... It's disgusting. It's disgusting what he said to Kale, and it has nothing to do with Janelle's body. So I just have a real issue with this idea of, like, karma and the idea that, like, David, it's fine for David. I know nobody's saying this, but when you, when you, okay, I know nobody's saying it is okay for David to fat shame Kale. I do know that. But when you say that, ha, 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 this is karma for David because he fat shamed Kale, then I kind of think you are saying that as long as Janelle is thin, then David has a leg to stand on with the fat shaming. I don't think most people are thinking of it that way, but I don't see how you can not think of it that way, basically. So this all got kicked up because I would say in the last month, since Janelle really started posting a lot on TikTok, uh, people have been like nonstop about her body and how fat she is and how bad she looks and how this is karma. Nonstop on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, like everywhere, everywhere, Reddit, everywhere. Just like constant, 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 constant posts and talk about Janelle's body. 
It's truly exhausting. Um, because like the least significant thing about Janelle is her body. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's truly the thing that matters least in everything that Janelle has done. So Kale decides to tweet out, let me get the exact tweet. By the way, follow me on Instagram at feathers underscore pod if you want to see all this play out in real time. Kale decided to tweet out, I don't know who needs to hear this, but David better never, but David better never come for my body ever again. AKA what Kale is saying is that Janelle is fat now, so David better not come for me because his wife is fat too. It's like Kale, because... (laughs) This is my issue with it. It's because, like, it wasn't right when he did it when Janelle was thin. (laughs) So, like, Kale just bringing this up to call Janelle fat is like, so, Kale, now you're no better than David because now you're calling Janelle fat, too. Like, Kale's kicking this hornet's nest. Kale calling Janelle, like, this tweet when Kale's saying, like, I don't know who needs to hear this, but David better not ever call me fat again. What she's saying is Janelle is fat. So it's like, okay, so you morally got on your high ground, rightfully so, when David came for your body, because you were in the right with that. But now you just stooped to David's level to call Janelle fat. This is so, this is just so petty and so mature, this whole thing. And Kale, by the way, is just like, I, I'm going to get there in a minute. I'm going to get to what I think about Kale and her online antics and, like, her life and just the total devolvement of Kale and Lowry soon. So Janelle's response is, I don't know who needs to hear this, aka, like, directly responding to Kale, but you're a giant compared to me. Let's stand side by side, laughing emoji. Don't let me start talking about you cheating on Javi and telling my mom while you got your makeup done. But, oh, everyone just finds out now? I told everyone this a long time ago. Wow, so much to say, but let me stop. LOL. Okay, first of all, like, Kale probably does look like a giant next to Janelle because Kale is like 5'10 and Janelle is five foot. <laughs> Second of all, I do think it's interesting that now a lot of people are like, Kale's not fat. Her body looks great. But like six months ago, every comment was like, how Kale's so fucking fat. And like when those uh, horse pictures came out, the boudoir pictures, everyone's like, Kale looks disgusting. She's fucking disgusting. But now that like Janelle is in on this, everyone's like, Kale looks amazing. She holds her weight so well. And I will say, like, Kale, I've always thought that Kale, like, holds her weight well. I've never thought, I've always thought that Kale is just, like, big and tall. And I've never, I don't know. I don't, I would be surprised if anybody on here has ever, if I've ever made a comment on here calling Kale fat or, like, really talking about her body beyond her just being, like, big and tall, like, broad. And I, like, also Kale will hold her weight better because she had a Brazilian butt lift and liposuction and a tummy tuck all over her body. And when you do that, you gain weight back more proportionally. If you want an example of that, go look at Trisha Paytas, who has had liposuction all over her body. So when she gains weight, she gains it more proportionally. When she loses weight, she loses it more proportionally. Anyway, I have never understood like the extreme hate that Kale gets on her body. I also think that Kale's like a master fucking class in posing and angles and facetune. She's so good at taking flattering photos and her candids always look very different than her pictures. But I just think it's funny that Kale, who has been the victim of so much scorn in the fandom for her body, is now everyone's like, Kale's just so proportional when like everybody was calling her disgusting six months ago. Also like... Just for the record, like, David should have never commented on Kale's body. (laughs) 
But okay, I want to get to Janelle's statement about how Kale looks like a giant compared to her. Somebody actually posted a side-by-side of them in bathing suits, and it's interesting because their bodies look truly, like, almost exactly the same. It's very interesting. Their arms look very similar. Their stomachs look very similar. Their legs look very similar. Like, proportionally, they look very similar to one another. So neither of these girls should be fucking talking about the other one. Okay. But I, what I really want to talk about is Janelle saying, don't let me start talking about you cheating on Javi and telling my mom, but everybody just finding out now. Janelle, what? <laughs> Did Janelle black out for the last five years? Yes. I know the answer to that is yes. But what the fuck is Janelle talking about? We've known that Kale cheated on Javi forever. <laughs> We've known this since like 2016. What is this bitch talking about? <laughs> Oh, but don't let me tell anybody now. Janelle, what? (laughs) What are you talking about? We know. (laughs) We know. Janelle is so stupid. Also, like, Janelle, you're just going to attract more attention to your body if you're calling Janelle fat or Kale fat because then all anybody is going to do is talk about you. This is the dumbest drama ever because it's all truly over nothing. It's all just over David being an asshole. And of course, Janelle also posted like, I love my husband. I stand by my husband, which is like, okay. Okay, girl, good luck with that. It's just, (laughs) I can't. I'm laughing because it's just so stupid, these two going back and forth with each other. It's so stupid. And I really don't feel for Kale with Janelle calling her a giant because Kale kicked a hornet's nest. Like, Kale didn't ever need... I understand that David attacked Kale, and I do understand, like, wanting to get back at him. But one, like I said, attacking him via Janelle's body is fucked up, and it makes you on the same level as David. And two, like, Kale's just kicking a hornet's nest. And I want to say, just in general, it's almost shocking to me how shitty Kale has gotten. Um, I know a lot of people like fucking hate Kale with everything in them. And I understand that. And you guys know I've always been pretty defensive of Kale. I've always given her a lot of breaks. I've always really tried to have a lot have a lot of empathy for Kale. I think Kale's childhood is very sad and I think almost all of her behavior is a result of being an adult child of an alcoholic. And I just think that she would really benefit from intense therapy and I think she has a lot of untreated mental health stuff going on so I've always like given Kale a lot of leeway but her social media antics have really been it it's like if she doesn't constantly every single day get attention and hate she will die and that is a dark 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 place to be if you every single day need to be in some sort of online fighting, like, throwback to me before I needed to go into rehab, to be honest. Like, you just, it's just a dark place to be. Her need for attention is stunning. Her need for attention is such a turnoff. Her and Becky, her good friend Becky, the friend that we all loved, apparently, are no longer speaking to one another. She is in fights with people every day. All she does is tweet about Chris. It really is interesting. Chris, I don't want to say Chris has pulled her down because I don't think that's the case. I think that everything that has happened in her life since she's gotten with Chris 
has just been on a downward spiral. Like, I think that Kale has just, ever since she, like, left Javi and then started this shit with Chris, well, started this shit with Chris and left Javi, whatever, Kale cheated on Javi. Like, yeah, we know. I think she has really been on, like, just a total downward spiral And it's really sad and upsetting to me as somebody that I think Kale had a lot of potential in life and just totally squandered it. And I don't mean, like, obviously, financially, she's okay. I think she's, like, okay as a mother. I think her kids are going to have issues. But I've also seen a lot of posts, like, comparing who's worse, Janelle or Kale, when it comes to parenting. And I'm like, are we really having this fucking conversation Like, of course, Janelle is a worse parent than Kale. I think Kale is going to fuck her kids up by her chaos and her behavior. But I don't, I think that Kale is still an attentive and active mother who loves their children. And Janelle is just like on planet Mars Why her kids are down here on planet Earth, like looking for her. (laughs) The idea that we could even have a conversation who is the worst mother, Janelle or Kale, and people genuinely are arguing Kale, I feel like I'm... I'm on planet Mars, not understanding, like, the Earth the Earth people when they're talking about this. It really confuses me. I think Kale loves her children, tries decently hard to be a good mom, but I think her mental health issues in her personal life is becoming such a problem for her that she can no longer control, that she can no longer get a grasp of. I really think when she left Javi, she was like, okay, I'm done trying to be normal and happy. Like, I tried it with Javi, it didn't fucking work, and I'm done with it, and just, like, gave in to the chaos, <laughs> as she loves to talk about, Kale and the chaos. And I think it's been really tough to watch, and something about, like, the last few months of watching Kale online with Chris has been really, really, really tough to watch. Either she's in an abusive relationship, or she's an abuser, or it's something of the both. I mean, the fact that she would have another kid with this guy... And just the fact that she would, like, she has the PFA on him, and then she gets mad that he blocks her and won't talk to him. It's all just, it's crazy. She, her life is depressing as fuck. Her life is really sad to me. And I do think it's probably going to blow up in a in a way that will be out of her control. I think Kale thinks that she has, like, control over all of the chaos And she feels little control of it, but I do think that it's going to spin out of control sooner rather than later. Okay, I'm going to get on to the new Mackenzie drama right after a quick break. Okay, so on Monday, Tuesday, does this show, does Team Mom come in on Tuesday? Yeah. So on Tuesday, I guess, I started seeing, um posts like this post circulating that was supposedly from Mackenzie McKee's Facebook. I don't have access to Mackenzie McKee's Facebook. So I was like, hmm, I I don't know that. I mean, it's probably real. I don't know. Then I saw saw the tweets that she was writing. I was like, oh, that fucking Facebook post is real. So let me just read the Facebook post and then we can get into all that happened. Okay. So Mackenzie Doich, I guess she changed her last name on Facebook already. I know many have it worse than me. This isn't a pity party. Life has really thrown me some huge curveballs. I don't know how I've made it here. Obviously, the world knows Josh had an affair last year and then months later repurposed promising he changed and got saved, in quotation marks. 
It really made my mom happy, and I chose to forgive and trust God. She was so happy for him, and her last words to him were, I'm so proud of you. Pray for me. I was so happy we made it to God before her death. (sighs) Then in December, I was already in deep pain and had to watch her take her last breath, and Josh was there for me until two weeks later. Things changed. All of a sudden, I was a freak for crying and being depressed. I would lay in bed and wonder why I was so crazy because that's what he made me feel like. And then life slowly turned him into working all day, coming home to shower and fishing all night. Again, I wondered what is wrong with me. I need him. I need him here to hold me. Um, I need him here to hold me together. But just give him grace and knew he didn't know how to handle it. So yesterday I made the random decision <laughs> to pull Josh's calls and text logs to find out that one week after my mom died... When he started leaving and changing his behavior to find out he was texting a woman three to six hundred times per month, which, by the way, that's three to six hundred times. It's a wide berth. (laughs) Sorry. And calling her on these nights, he was fishing until 3 a.m. Obviously another affair. So I go to the number. So I go to call the number and it was my close cousin, Ashley. What all went on? I don't know. My family will never be the same, and we were all torn. I was not only hurt by him, by her, but hurt by her. I've cried until my eyes were swollen shut. I am in utter shock. I am now opening my eyes to what a horrible man Josh has been. He has been a lie. And how can you watch your wife lose her mom and make these decisions? I'm sad for my kids. I love Jesus, and I loved my family. People have tried to tell me for years, Josh doesn't love me, and I made excuses for him. But today is the day I walk away. Pray for me that I can function, feel worthy again, and find hope. Pray for my kids. I always wanted my family to work so they don't have to live in two different houses. I was 100% committed to Josh so much I don't understand. Oh. I, I'm not quite sure where to start with this. First of all, once again, it kind of proves what a fucking liar Mackenzie is because she was on Twitter less than a week before she posted this saying that Josh, she can't believe how bad MTV is making Josh look in the aftermath of her mom's death. He was, for the first month after her mom died, he dropped everything and moved in with her dad and fully supported him and he's been such a rock to her. And I think it just really goes to show that almost anything positive Mackenzie says about Josh is most likely a lie and that Mackenzie lies about Josh a lot because she isn't an idiot and knows how they come off and knows how he looks on TV. And I think she is so desperate for them to be together and be happy that she just tells a lot of lies. I think she just tells a lot of lies. And once people, you know, like she like says these things because she, it's the only response she has when people are online and they're like, Josh fucking hates you. And so she has to be like, no, you actually don't know. You don't know what it's like here. Josh did this, this, and this. But I think it's because she's lying to cover up for it. I I mean, do I like excuse the line? No, I think it's bad to be a liar. But do I understand the line? Yeah, I do. Um, I also think that even in this statement, she's saying things that are just not factually correct. You know, when she says I was committed to Josh 100%, no, you weren't. Like, I, (laughs) which is okay because Josh wasn't committed to you 100%. So why would you be committed to him 100%? Josh and Mackenzie have broken up a million times. He's moved out a million times. She's kicked him out a million times. Like, they're always fighting. She says herself that she's cheated on him. There have always been issues between them. I just think it's like, 
Mackenzie, why? I, Mackenzie doesn't need to paint herself as this perfect wife because she's not a perfect wife and it's silly to pretend like she was. She doesn't need to do that because we all know and agree that Josh is a fucking asshole and he is a really bad husband. And it's understandable that she wasn't committed to him 100%. Oh, the other thing I wanted to address is that I saw a lot of people online be like, night fishing. Night fishing is a real thing. Like, that, night fishing is a very real thing that people do. It's just going fishing at night. I know lots of people who go night fishing, especially in Florida. I know a lot of people who go night fishing. Night fishing is very real. When my dad goes fishing, they leave. My dad is, I don't have I talked about this? <laughs> and my dad is really into fishing and goes fishing every weekend from April to November, basically, and he doesn't call it night fishing, but they leave the dock at, like, 2 a.m. to go fishing and then come back whenever. Like, night fishing is real. You go on over night fishing trips. It's a real thing. But Mackenzie, to lay this all out, apparently she deleted it pretty quickly. So I was like, I don't know. I don't know. But then I saw these tweets. So somebody tweeted, Mackenzie and her husband, in quotation marks, has the weirdest relationship. They act like friends. Mackenzie responded, literally all that we were. No love here, sis. Um, another one says, why does Josh sit there with his head down while Mackenzie talks? And Mackenzie says, 10 years of my life, literally, nothing to him. Somebody says, does Josh talk? He just sits there and mumbles once in a while. Mackenzie seems pretty sure. Why is she with this loser? You can do so much better. I 100% agree. And then she retweeted somebody saying, Gannon and Josh are the same age emotionally. She retweeted, dead. I was like, okay, I guess that Facebook post is real. <laughs> I, though, was very hesitant, and I posted, like, it's going to be really hard to watch her backtrack out of this, because if you've been following Mackenzie for a long time, then you know that this is what Josh and Mackenzie do. She makes these bold statements about how she's leaving, she's going to leave him, you know, it's, like, this is it, this is over, Josh is nothing. Remember two, last season when she, like, said to Josh, she's like, you're a fucking loser, your wife pays for everything, you are the scum of the earth. And I was like, how do you come back from that? <laughs> like, this is what Josh and Mackenzie do. But my thing was, like, this is going to be a hard one to watch her backtrack on. If you guys have been listening to this podcast for a long time, like, we've covered Josh and Mackenzie breaking up quite a few times on Feathers in My Hair. I like how I say we, like, me, me and my production team here at Feathers in My Hair. No, but I've covered Josh and Mackenzie breaking up quite a few times. And I really have only been talking about Josh and Mackenzie since Mackenzie came back on the show, since they did the Mackenzie. Mackenzie's a part-time mom, and since they did the Bean Mackenzie special, I don't, was I talking about, I don't think I was really talking about Mackenzie before she came back on the show, but I was following Mackenzie. I've kept, I've been keeping up with the, the McKees for the last, you know, however long it's been since Team on Through is on air, and this is just what Josh and Mackenzie do, so I know a lot of people are like, oh my god, she's finally leaving him, good job, I'm so proud of you, this is amazing, Mackenzie, and I was kind of just like, everybody, like, let's, Let's take a step back. Like, Josh and Mackenzie really break up more than Janelle breaks up with her boyfriends, if that means anything. So, I, but I was hopefully optimistic. I was like, well, if he's cheating with a cousin, like, that's, that's hard. That's hard to excuse. And she's put it all. Oh, also people are like, well, now that she's being public, like, she's going to have to walk away from him. She's putting this out there because she's serious. And I'm like, no, 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 no. <laughs> Mackenzie loves to blast, block, blast Josh and then delete it all. Remember at the beginning of this season when I was like, 
she tw- she wrote on that Instagram post that her and Josh were no long t- longer together, and then in a couple episodes later, I was trying to find that Instagram post, and she had fucking edited it <laughs> and just removed that information from it. Like this is what she does. Mackenzie has very little shame. Is part of the thing. I think Mackenzie's also very impulsive. Um, she gives off like a manic energy a lot of the times and does a lot of shit, and then I think she like comes down from that and doesn't actually want to deal with the consequences or actually have to deal with it. So she just doesn't. And I think where Mackenzie falters as somebody that was in a really shitty relationship for a really long time is that about two years in, I wised up and just stopped telling anybody we were even together, even though we were living together. People didn't even realize he was still around because I like was so, I had so much shame and was so embarrassed by it. Um, I think where Mackenzie has an issue is that she doesn't feel that shame when she announces these things and then just has to delete it when she actually wants to stay with him. Okay. So she gave an interview to the Champion Daily, which I'm reading a recap of it from the Ashley. <laughs> so this is what Mackenzie has to say. Josh and I met super young and things went fast when neither of us were ready. So my instinct was to love and love hard, she told the site. Hold my family together, make good money, set us up, and live a good life. I took Josh in and gave him my life. My family loves him and, we always, and always rooted us on. We both made several mistakes throughout the years. I'm not claiming to have been perfect, but one thing we can all see is that he has sucked the life out of me. I'm like, okay, okay. If you ask him, he says I pushed him away, she added. And my side is of all of this is that I never felt valued or loved. Out of everything I've accomplished, she was never proud of me. Mackenzie stated that Josh is not a fan of being such a public relationship, which also hurt the marriage. It didn't make things easy that he wants to be out of the spotlight, and I run my entire life slash income on social media, sharing anything and everything which could have done damage to this marriage. Oh, no shit. So, Mackenzie admitted that after Josh's first affair, she was unkind to him, even forgiving him and accepting when he proposed again. After a reproposal, I will admit to calling him mean names every day and pushing him away. Then after I lost my mom, I also lost all sanity. I would tell him daily he's no good and disgusted, and he disgusted me. But on the inside, it was me screaming for him to just hold me to get, just hold me together. Wow, it's hard for me to. <laughs> I think she's typing these to the champion, like answering responses, and she's always has so many typos. Um. Okay, this is where I started being like, hmm. Okay, this is a lot of, it's basically a lot of, like, admitting that she wasn't good, and I was like, hmm, hmm, hmm. As her cousin Josh allegedly had an affair with, Mackenzie told the site that she is someone who I grew up being close to. The cousin was also close to Josh. She is far older than Josh and I, Mackenzie said of the cousin. We used to hang out with her and her now ex-husband and let each other's kids stay over. She cuts hair for a living and has cut Josh's hair along with all my family's hair for years. Mackenzie said that this incident has been hard on her as well as her whole family. My family being very close did not know how to take it, she said. Josh and Ashley both say that a lot of the communication was them chatting about a haircut and she was going through Josh to get some anxiety meds from her brother, from his brother, and that Josh would come to talk to her about our problems and ask her advice. Now... Can we just, like, pause real quick on this, like, and she was asking for Xanax from Josh's brother? (laughs) I read that and I was like, wait, what? (laughs) Okay, I guess this is what we're doing. Okay. According to them, it wasn't what it looks like. But looking back, it's wrong, she added. 
And he says she was always telling him he needs to man up and be here for me. It's inappropriate. And in my eyes, this is an emotional affair. I feel betrayed by my own family and things will never be the same. She added that her marriage was not in good shape even before she discovered the alleged affair. No shit. Two times this year, I've kicked him out of the house just try, just to try and find my sanity, she said. Was it wrong? Sure, I'll admit that. But lately, our relationship has been sleeping under the same roof and loving our kids. He says to me all the time, I'm just here until you find someone and I will leave. So we both knew it was coming to an end, but being together for 11 years, it was just too hard. But neither of us are happy, Mackenzie added. This is not Mackenzie. I am fun, loud, motivated, and outgoing. I'm not even a joy to be around for others. She maintains that she plans to leave Josh for good this time. I'm excited about my future, and I have a good I have a good career, and although I don't have my family put together, truly believe God is going to heal me and let me see why this is happening, she added, adding that she will hope that she is hopeful that both she and Josh will eventually find partners that are more compatible with. I pray he finds someone who will be nice to me and good for him and to my kids, Mackenzie says, I pray you find someone who loves the Lord as I do, who will value me and won't ever have these feelings of insecurity or wondering why I'm unlovable ever again. So, I don't know. Something about this, just like, <sighs> the way she's talking about how she kicked him out and she pushed him away, I don't know. I just started to kind of feel like, hmm. You know, like, something in me, I was like, she's just being, compared to that first one where she was like, I was 100% committed to him and he was fucked. And I know I just said, like, it's funny that that's how she presented herself because it's not true and it's okay to be honest that you weren't great. And I do feel that way, but something inside of me was kind of telling me that the backtrack might be coming. Uh, I didn't post about that article, though, because I was like, I'm not sure. Then she tweeted this yesterday. I never use the word banging or cheating, except she said emotional affair. Please stop stalking and digging for relatives and invading privacy. Josh was texting and calling her for advice on how to handle me. And to me, that was wrong on both ends and enough to walk away. Now let's all move along. Oh my God. Okay. To say I've never used the words banging or cheating. Okay, so you didn't use the word banging, but you wrote a long-ass Facebook post saying they had three to 600 text messages a month that he was out till 3 a.m. with her. Like, she implies that they were having a physical relationship in that Facebook post because she says that they were hanging out behind Mackenzie's back. So, like, what are they doing? If Like, that's the only, like, reasonable thing to take away from her Facebook post is that they were having sex. But okay. Okay, we we can all say that they weren't, we can all take your word that they weren't having sex and it was just an emotional affair. So when she says, or cheating, I'm like, hold the phone. I just read to you guys, she specifically said she, that Josh had an emotional affair. This is the thing, Mackenzie is such a liar that she does this a lot. It's funny, I think if Mackenzie had been on this show continuously this whole time, people would understand that she's a much bigger liar, uh, that she lies a lot like Janelle does where she, like, literally will give interviews and then be like, I never said that. A really big example of this is she gave an interview once talking about how Josh told her that if she was going to kill herself to do it when he left the house with the kids. (sighs) Dark, dark, dark. But she was like, later was like, I never said that. And it's like, well, you did. Like, you're quoted. And if you didn't say that, then you should sue that paper for defamation because, like, they quoted you directly saying that. And I know people can misquote people, but like, 
I don't know. This is something she does where she gives quotes or tweets or posts on Facebook and then turns around and basically tries to gaslight you and be like, no, that never happened. And it's like, no, it did happen. Like, I have the screenshot of the Facebook post where you said that he was out. It specifically says, I'm reading it again, calling her on these nights, he was fishing until 3 a.m. Fishing in quotation marks. Okay, so I'm supposed to believe he was just sitting out of his house calling her for eight hours and they, like, never met up and had an affair. Like, the thing that you get from that tweet is that they were having a physical, or from that Facebook post, that they're having a physical affair. And when you say they had an emotional affair, that's cheating. What is it? An emotional affair and the words cheating are the same thing. (laughs) Okay, she says, please stop stalking and digging for relatives and invading privacy. Okay, I can understand when she says this, like, stop trying to figure out which cousin Ashley this is. But at the same time, like, nobody would look be looking for cousin Ashley if you didn't write out a Facebook post saying that Josh had an affair with my cousin Ashley. <laughs> All she had to say is Josh had an affair with somebody close to me. She didn't have to say family member. She didn't have to say cousin. She didn't have to say the name Ashley. Like, if she didn't want people going and looking for Ashley, she should not have said my cousin Ashley. Are people digging looking for this person? Sure. Is it invading privacy? I don't know. I think it's kind of crazy to say that people are invading anybody's privacy when Mackenzie is the one that put her name and family status to Mackenzie out there on blast knowing how the Team Mom fandom is. So for Mackenzie to be like, stop invading her privacy, it's like, well, maybe you shouldn't have posted her name. (laughs) You know, like, just a, just a, a fun hit, like a fun tip is like, if you don't want the insane team mom fandom to be going after your cousin Ashley, don't post on Facebook that your cousin Ashley is having an affair with your husband. And then that will never happen. Okay. Josh was texting and calling her for advice on how to handle me. Mackenzie needs help so bad. She's so insecure. Her family has fucked her self-esteem up for so long. Like, the idea that Josh... Like, the wording of that is so upsetting on how to handle me. Here's how you word this so it's not upsetting. Josh was reaching out to my family members because he felt that he couldn't be there for me. And he wanted advice on how to best be there for me. Handle me is a very alarming phrase. And I think it's how her mom talked about her. Never forget that birthday post that Angie posted about how Mackenzie was so awful as a child and was diagnosed with oppositional defiance disorder, which is a very serious diagnosis to give a child. And it's also like very bizarre if Mackenzie did get the diagnosis and no longer fits the criteria that Angie would then publicly state to people that Mackenzie had it as a child because it's a very stigmatized uh, diagnosis. So yeah, it's the, I think handle me is a phrase that comes directly from Angie and Brad and her siblings. And they always are talking about how to handle Mackenzie. And it's very sad. It's very sad. Like I, you know, like I said, all she had to do is write like Josh was looking for advice on how to be there for me. The difference in the phrases be there for me and handle me are, it's a big difference. Um, And to me, that was wrong on both ends and enough to walk away. Now let's all move along. Okay. 
the way she says, and enough for me to walk away. That was wrong on both ends, meaning, like, I thought Josh and Ashley were both being inappropriate. Okay, good. And enough to walk away. Now let's all move along. I'm wondering if that walk away is, you know, for the long term, forever, or if she means, like, in the moment, it was enough for me to walk away. I, like, I really, I will be surprised if Josh and Mackenzie end in divorce over this. I will, will Josh and Mackenzie get divorced one day? Yes, absolutely. (laughs) Or we hope, but I'm pretty sure the answer to that is yes. I feel confident that one day these two people will no longer be married. Is this the thing that's going to push Josh, Mackenzie to leave Josh forever for good? Mm, I kind of doubt it. I kind of doubt it. She's already talking about her parts in it and what how she pushed Josh away and how let's all move on. And I just, uh, let me see if she's liking anything, actually. Okay, these are some of the tweets that Mackenzie has liked. This is a good one. Well, emotional affairs is just as hard to deal with, if not more, than a physical and lustful affair. It is very deep and personal. She can choose to do as she wishes with her life, no matter what the situation is. Okay, choose to do what she wishes with her life. At first, I'm like, okay, that's good. Mm, okay. Then somebody else said, and Mackenzie liked it, I'd hate to be on TV. The hate and opinions on every aspect of my life and kissing goodbye to all privacy must be hard. You can never pay me enough. I don't know how you cope. Sending strength. Okay. Um, yeah, I would hate to be on TV too and kiss all privacy away. But also, like, let's not pretend like Mackenzie hasn't spent the last five plus years of her life courting the public's attention. That's the thing that gets me with Mackenzie. It's like, you have spent the last five years putting every single moment of your life on Snapchat. So this isn't just like because you're like, you happen to be on T-Mom. You made an active choice to come back on knowing that your marriage is shit. (laughs) Here's an interesting one. Mackenzie tweeted out like clickbait or an article from the Hollywood gossip that it was like, it's true with a broken heart emoji. And it's Mackenzie McKee, I caught my husband having an affair with my cousin, and someone replied, I think I speak for all your fans when I say, if you forgive Josh again, we're all done with you, girl. Mackenzie replied, I wholeheartedly wholeheartedly believe in forgiveness for my own peace. I pray for him and that he finds the right one. I've wanted this for a while. Okay, like, I see that response, and I'm like, okay, that's good. Then somebody replied to her and she said, this girl needs support and love, not ultimatums. And Mackenzie liked that. I'm guessing she liked it for the support and love, but the I don't know. Everything about it, she is liking a lot of stuff that's saying, like, you can do better. You should leave him. You will be great. Life goes on. It's okay. I just am feeling in my bones, like, the backtrack is coming. It's really coming. And we'll, you know, we'll keep it posted. We'll keep it posted. And um, somebody tweeted, oh, I will say, oh, okay. So somebody responded to that one where she's like, I never said the word cheats. And she says, somebody replied, wait, hold up. He never actually cheated, like had sex, made out. He actually went to her for advice for help. Something is missing here. And she replied, yes, tabloids use the word cheat and bang, not me. But them texting was being hidden from me and the situation was not okay. Okay, but like, She's saying emotional affair. I guess to her, cheating is only physical and there is... I think that's another thing that's confusing me is that she's saying cheating... He didn't cheat. He had an emotional affair. To me, that seems to be really minimizing it in that she's like... So when they do get back together, she can be like, well, he didn't cheat. He just had an emotional affair and we were able to move on from that. 
Somebody replied, you guys will get back together. It's always been like this. And Mackenzie says, nah, I'm good. I don't know. I'm really, I like really feel, uh, somebody said, he texts, he said, they said 600 times for advice. And she says, I was being a bit dramatic on the numbers, but it was a lot of texts. And at a time you should have been focusing on getting me help. Um, yeah, she keeps basically just saying like, you know, she just keeps saying, like, it's not an affair. It's not an affair. It's not cheating. Uh, okay, so somebody responded, quoting her, obviously another affair with a shruggy emoji. Mackenzie says, they refuse to call it that, but I do think emotional affair is the thing. I do not go to men for marital advice unless a counselor. What? <laughs> I don't understand what that means. <laughs> that, what? <laughs> I, oh, 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 oh. What she's saying is, like, don't go to another woman for advice on, like, because Josh went to another woman for advice on a marital affair or a marital issue, then he's having an affair. And if I did that, it would be me having an affair. But they won't acknowledge that it was that. I don't know. I really, like, I really just feel like I'm worried that she's going to take him back. But I also really hope that she doesn't. I genuinely hope that she doesn't. I just wouldn't be surprised if she did, is where I am. Okay, I think that's it for the gossip of this week, 50 minutes into this podcast, which is good, because not that much happens on Teen Mom OG as a show, and I love to talk about fresh goss. I love it. Look, Princess left a comment that was like, (laughs) remember when we all wanted drama, and you said if it came from Mackenzie McKee, it was going to be the darkest timeline? You were right. And I was like, yeah. Mackenzie McKee is a lot of drama, but it's all very dark. Anyway, I mean, God bless Mackenzie McKee and Josh for giving us all this drama. Where else? We weren't getting it from anywhere else. So, like, thanks, I guess. (laughs) Okay, let's talk about this fucking episode. Oh, by the way, before I get started, there is a lot of Beaver family drama going on. Um, They're a little bit, like I said... It's just too much. You guys know I'm the Goldilocks when it comes to online drama. It can't be too little or too much. And the Beavers definitely fall under too much. I guess um, Stephanie reported Mallory to CPS because Mallory tried to take um, baby. What's her baby's name? I I cannot remember what Mallory's child's name is. Oh, okay. I've totally, totally missed out on what that is. I... That knowledge has been picked up and removed from my brain. But Stephanie tried to, or Mallory tried to take the baby, Emery, Emery. Mallory tried to take Emery away from Stephanie, so Stephanie called CPS, and a lot's going on, and I can't believe that we're not getting young and pregnant back. I'm so sad. Oh, give me Leave It to Beavers. It's so obvious. We deserve it. <laughs> We really deserve it. Oh my god, I almost just had a heart attack. I thought I had, like, deleted my notes somehow or X out without saving, which would be hmm, a true nightmare for me. Although, I mean, I would just, I would just figure it out, guys. I would just figure it out. Okay, this was an incredibly slow episode, but there are a couple cute things I wanted to talk about. First, I do want to say, let me talk about Corey and Jan first, because I want to say, I'm very big. Let's not spoil the challenge. I, on purpose, have not spoiled it, even though I read spoilers. Don't spoil it in my comments, please. I had somebody message me today that was like, hey, I want to watch a new episode, but have did 
like I see Corey comes home from the challenge. Did they spoil it? And nope, they did not spoil it at all. MTV is purposely not spoiling it on Teen Mom. The challenge is still on the air. And I, as far as I know, Corey is still on. So let's not spoil the challenge. Okay. Um, also, I did have somebody confirm in my DMs. Let me see who that was because I really, I had a bunch of people writing me about like spoilers that I had already read and just information about Corey this season. Apparently he's having a good season of the challenge, but somebody gave me some really good info. Okay, so this is from Haley J244. She said, Hey Liz, huge challenge head over here. Uh, she says, Challenge cast members get paid for each week they stay on the show, which I was particularly curious about. I asked, Does Corey make more money based on how long he's there? Uh, is it just an appearance fee? That was really good info to me. She says, The challenge cast members' weekly pay is based on what band they're in, depending on how many challenges they've done in the past. Once again, that's really good info to me because I know there are people like Wes that have been doing challenges since I first started watching the challenge. Wasn't Wes on Road Rules? Wasn't he an original Road Rules member? Remember Road Rules? Oh, gosh. Okay, she says, Corey's likely in one of the middle bands for this season. I.e., he's not Wes or Johnny Bananas, but he's not some Are You the One or Gordy Shore random. I cannot believe they have Gordy Shore members on the challenge. (laughs) She says many cha- challenge cast members cast members acknowledge that they rely on the weekly appearance fee for the sh- on the show rather than the prize money because only a few players win the prize the final prize money sometimes only one. Therefore, Corey's making his check by hanging on for dear life week to week. He's awful at challenges but has a good alliance social game. Okay, that is exactly what I wanted to know. So Haley, thank you so so much for that info because that's exactly what I was asking. Does Corey make a lot more money by staying? Is it just an appearance fee? Like, what is the situation? Chef Kiss, perfect. Uh, she also just had some good information about, like, the behind-the-scenes stuff with the challenge. And she said, I agree was I agree that Cheyenne was in the right, or at least a reasonable person could argue she was in the right. I love that. Because I feel like a lot of the way that I talk about Team Mom is like... When I'm saying I'm in the right, what I really mean is a reasonable person could argue the thing that I am saying. <laughs> For not telling him. Thanks for being my friend, blah, 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 during quarantine. You're welcome, Haley. She says, also, the challenge has made it clear that cast members get one single 10-minute phone call per week. The challenge producers would probably cut the call off mid-conversation to fuck with Corey's head, and it would certainly become a storyline on the show. But I guess Shy and Corey don't seem too worried about the details of their child's health being on national TV show. <laughs> so, yeah, that makes a lot of sense, like, that they would have cut the call off, that they wouldn't have given him all of the information, that Ryder's health issues would have become a storyline on the challenge, and that for each week he stays, he makes more money. So even if he doesn't win, which Cheyenne had no idea where he was, and I don't know if he wins or not, and they haven't said it on the TV yet, but as the challenge is still ongoing, but that if Corey had cut his journey short, not only would he not have won the million dollars, but his appearance fee would have been cut down. And if he's in the middle band, as she suspects, aka he's not Johnny Bananas making, let's say, 15000 a week, he's maybe making like 8000 a week, but that adds up, especially along with the teen mom money. So thank you so much, Haley, for that info. It was really good. Oh, the other thing I wanted to say is that, oh, so Corey is getting a, Corey, (laughs) Corey's getting a birth special. Honestly, the way he announces it, Corey's getting a birth special. I'm a little curious about how they film this. I'm guessing it's just Corey and Taylor filming it. Maybe Cheyenne is filming stuff with Ryder. Like, 
if they brought production in for this, I will have a major, major ethical issue. <laughs> hey guys, let's get into the ethics of Teen Mom. But I'm not really sure how they're doing a special on little Mila being born, considering she was born during the middle of this pandemic. And MTV, I would hope that MTV did not put any of their camera people in danger to do this, but I wouldn't be surprised if they did. I, I don't know. Will I watch it? Probably not, unless somebody tells me it's quite interesting. I doubt it will be interesting. I find Taylor to just be such dead weight. Like, there, she's a f- pure party filler to me. She does not add anything to this show. And I don't, I think Corey is such like, bleh. He's such a little conniving. Like, he's just such, he's like such a con man is the vibe that he gives me. And I'm not that interested in seeing them give birth to their daughter. Although I guess it is interesting that they had the baby during Corona. So that could be an interesting spin on it. But in general, I'm just not interested in it. Okay, so let's talk about this week's episode with Corey and Cheyenne. Basically, they are still working hard so Ryder doesn't get sick. And she's home from the hospital, but they're not going out of the house really. Uh, Taylor had wanted to come visit her in the hospital and then visit Ryder. And Cheyenne had to tell her no because she didn't want Taylor, who is sick, to come to the, or not sick, who's pregnant, to come to the hospital and potentially get sick. This was a little hard for me to follow this logic. I understand protecting Ryder, but I feel like if Taylor, as a pregnant woman, wants to go to the hospital, I mean, this is a pre-COVID conversation. I don't really see the issue in it, but basically, Cheyenne was like, don't come. You'll see Ryder when Corey gets home. Um... Corey's on his way home. They're not going to go pick him up at the airport because Ryder's not leaving the house. But Corey or Cheyenne basically called his producer and asked that before they give Corey his phone back, if she would, if the producer would please just like explain to Corey what happened. That Ryder had been in the hospital, she was sick, and she was okay. Shy is a little worried about how she will how he will respond, but she thinks she's like, I really do think I did the right thing, and I think he'll be okay with it. You know, I was in touch with his family, his mom, his girlfriend Taylor, like everybody the whole time, and everybody kind of agreed not to tell him it was all a mutual decision. I also think it's interesting and smart, and I was impressed with Cheyenne when she said this that her and Corey had fucked up. Because they did not decide on what they would do in a situation like this before he left. And I think that's very true. I also didn't think of that when I was critiquing them in the last episode. But she's right. They have a medically fragile child who has to go to the hospital more often than most children. And she has a uh, genetic disorder that can make her very sick. So I agree. They sh- This should have been a discussion beforehand. Like we have Ryder. God forbid Ryder gets sick when you're gone. When do we call you? How sick does she need to be? Um, Because I think that the one thing that sucks is that by nature of the way the challenge is shot, by nature of what the challenge is, that Corey was not in on this decision to tell Corey or not. That sounds crazy to say, but I think you guys know what I'm, I'm getting at. And I do think that they would have really benefited from having this conversation beforehand where Corey says, this is how the producers are. This is how the game goes. Here's the thing. I would like you to only call me if like 
to get the advice of the doctors. And if the doctors say to call me, to call me. And if the doctors say not to call me, then don't call me. Which is essentially like what Cheyenne ended up doing. She's like, I talked to the doctors and they said I don't need to call him. I'm basically, my understanding is she probably said to the doctors, her father's on MTV's The Challenge. He is trying to win a million dollars. He gets one phone call a week. If he comes, they'll either put it in the show and it will mess with his head or he will need to come home. Can you please tell me how serious this is and if her dad should leave the show to come home? And I'm sure, I mean, they live in LA. I'm sure the doctors got it. And they gave her the advice that she did not need to call Corey, that it wasn't that serious and that Ryder was pretty stable. So I think that, like I said last week, I do think that Cheyenne was in the right in this very particular circumstance that they were in. And I do think that they fucked up by not having this conversation beforehand. Corey like, is like, I'm never going on the challenge again. I'm never leaving for this long again. But I don't I don't believe that to be the case. I think next time the challenge comes calling, Corey's going to agree to do it. I don't, I think that Corey's not stupid and understands that his relevancy, you know, has a limit on it. And I wonder how long he's going to be relevant. And I assume he's going to be doing every challenge they offer him. So in the future, they really need to sit down before he goes and make a decision on what they're going to do when Ryder gets sick. So, uh, Corey comes home. He's happy to be home. He is really happy to be home. He missed Taylor, and he's really happy about the stomach, and Ryder's really cute greeting him. I wasn't sure how Ryder was going to react because he had been gone a long time. She's like two and a half in this episode, And, you know, two and a half year olds, it's like sometimes they can be very excited to see you and sometimes they're not very excited to see you and act like they don't know who you are. (laughs) Even if they're somebody that, you know, even if you're somebody that they really love, it just all depends on their mood. But Ryder ran right up to him, gave him a really sweet hug, and then was like reaching to give Taylor a hug. She really loves Taylor. So that was nice. Um, And basically, Corey was like, that was right. Like, I, Corey doesn't seem upset. He's like, it was really hard and weird to deal with when I got home or when I got my phone back and the producer was telling me what happened. But I, he wasn't mad, basically. And I think that was the right, I think everybody handled it the best they could. And it was a really crazy situation. And I don't, I wouldn't want to be in that situation. Okay, should we talk about, let's talk about Amber next, who I find her scenes, Like, since Dimitri's been here, I find Dimitri's presence is very unnerving to me. I remember last week I was saying he reminds me of someone, but I couldn't remember who he reminded me of. Now I know it's Carter from Vanderpump Rules. They look so much alike. But I just find everything about Dimitri and Amber seems to be very unnerving. I think it's the fact that he doesn't really speak English, so he's not able to, like, express himself to the cameras, and Amber's just kind of talking for him in a way that I'm like, it gives me the creeps. Like, I don't really find Dimitri creepy because I don't, I I feel pretty neutral in general to Dimitri. I mean, I definitely question why he's left his children in Europe and has come to live with Amber for, for three months and why anybody would be willing to date Amber, especially someone who doesn't speak the same language as her. I definitely have questions about that. Those are questions that I have, but in general, I would say I'm pretty neutral towards him because, like I said, we don't really hear him talk, so it's kind of hard to form an opinion on his personality, and I just, like, something, you know what it is? I feel like her scenes feel very claustrophobic to me. Does anybody else feel that way? I feel very trapped when I'm in Amber's scenes. 
So Amber lets us know that things are going with good with Dimitri since he passed his lie detector test, which is truly an insane thing to say. And she's like, but I'm worried because I've been burned before. Um, and then they do a flashback of all the times Amber has actually burned her boyfriends, not vice versa. <laughs> also, I miss Matt Bayer. I can't believe I'm saying it, but I truly do. He is so good for TV. Matt is an incredible TV villain. And I would like that TV villain to come back. So Amber's like, well, I need to work on my childhood issues so that I can be in a healthy relationship, which is like, yeah, that's true. That That is a true statement, but I think the, the truer statement is that I need to be single and work on these issues and then I can be in a healthy relationship. <laughs> oh, God. So uh, Demetri and Amber explained to a producer that Amber <laughs> showed him on a French website all of the, like, diagnoses she has. And she's like, you know, I just told him that sometimes he needs to be gentle with me. He really needs to be gentle with me. I mean, I need to be gentle with him too, but he needs to be gentle with me. I find that to be very problematic language coming from an abuser. Um, the idea that the issue is that her boyfriends are not gentle with her is really alarming to me. And it just shows that Still, Amber takes no responsibility. The only reason that she ever lashes out in Amber's eyes is because somebody forced her to do it. If you go back and you watch early seasons of Teen Mom, in the aftermath of Amber abusing Gary, she blames him totally, says that she wouldn't have done what she did if he didn't do what he did. It's all Gary's fault. Then she's like that with Matt. Then she's like that with Andrew. This is Amber's pattern, is that these men, is that she is allowed to be abusive to her partners because she has mental health issues and the men push her so hard and eventually they need to be nice to her because if they're not nice to her, then she will flip out at them. And that it's just so unhealthy and toxic, her mentality. Um, Dimitri's like, I, I try, I, so do I, I try and I understand, and it's just, it's a very unnerving scene, the idea that she is, like, having him read French websites to understand her mental health issues so that she won't abuse him, basically, is really dark, <laughs> really dark. So they go to see Amber's psychiatrist. Uh, just Amber goes into the appointment, but Dimitri goes with her to the appointment because, God forbid, once Amber has a boyfriend, that she leaves her house by herself. Um, she is talking to the psychiatrist. Once again, I'm asking, why is her psychiatrist the only person that she seems to be going to for any therapy? Why isn't she in a DBT program? And Amber says that she... Oh, on the way there, she says she appreciates Dimitri's loyalty, but she wants to be able to fall in love with him without putting the past issues on him. Here's another thing. If Dimitri understands what she's saying, like, why is he not on his way back to the airport and flying back home to Belgium? The fact that all Amber does is talk about how she doesn't trust him because of her past, like, she's just setting him up. She's setting him up to be a bad boyfriend so that she can abuse him. And then she's going to say, well, it's not my fault. It's because I've been treated so badly in the past and I had no choice but to treat you badly. It's very weird the way she talks about it. it I think that she keeps talking about it because he's not responding because he doesn't speak English to push back against what she's saying. It's very unhealthy. It's very unhealthy. So she tells the psychiatrist about the lie detector test. And I'm sure the psychiatrist was like, what? And she's like, well, you know, he passed and that's good. And so the psychiatrist asks how she feels about it. And 
Amber says that at first she felt ecstatic and then she came home and cried the entire day because she's so scared. And it's like, Amber, (laughs) this is not normal. Ugh, I don't, like, the fact that she can say that out loud and is not like, that's weird. This shouldn't be a thing that's happening. So maybe I should step away from this relationship if I'm crying all day because I have so little trust for him because of my issues. Maybe, like, my solution would be to be single so that I can work that shit out in the next relationship I get into. I don't have to do deal with this baggage. I don't think Amber understands that she will not be able to deal with her baggage if she's in a relationship. The reality is, is that like she is not going to be able to fix these issues while also trying to be in a healthy relationship. She needs to fix the issues and be a much healthier person and then she can meet another healthy person and then they can have a healthy relationship together. What she's doing now, no bueno, will not work, is never going to work. I understand that, like, as a psychiatrist or therapist, like, you're not supposed to tell your clients what to do, but I really wish somebody would say this to her. (laughs) Amber, call me. So, I wish Amber, honestly, I don't want a team mom to ever listen to my episodes, but I do think in a way (laughs) that Amber could gain a lot of insight about herself from what I have to say about her. So, the doctor asks if she's falling into her old patterns, and she kind of, like, walks past that and is just like, well, I never felt love as a child. She, until she was, like, 14, she'd only ever heard she was a bitch and not that she was loved. And, like, I understand that her father was a really bad alcoholic and her mom has her issues. And she has borderline personality disorder, which indicates a lot of trauma in her childhood. And I don't blame her for that. But once again, it's like, Dimitri will not be able to fix that. Like, Dimitri, like, Amber is waiting to find someone who loves her enough to fix all of her issues, and unfortunately, that's never, ever going to happen. It's just not ever going to happen, and I would like to see her learn that, probably with the help of a professional. Um, Her psychiatrist is like, well, you know, you had an alcoholic father. That really impacts how you see yourself, and Amber says that, like, when her dad was drinking, she wished for his death. And her psychiatrist is like, well, you loved him when he was sober, and you also loved him when he was an alcoholic, and that sounds really mixed messages to a child. And I think that's absolutely true, and I think Amber's trauma is very valid, and Amber, a lot of what Amber feels is very valid. But like I said, she's going about fixing this in totally the wrong way, and she's never going to be able to do it because of how she's going about it. And that's sad. It's upsetting. It's frustrating. It's very frustrating, and I would like to see Amber get better. I just don't, I don't see a near future in which Amber figures out that she really can't have a boyfriend because she is not healthy enough to have one. And I think that's the bottom line. And it's a shame that she doesn't have anybody in her life that's close to her to tell her that. Okay, so let's talk about Kate, who... (sighs) Okay. I'm proud of Kate for doing something. (laughs) The bar is literally in hell when it comes to Kate. The bar is subterranean. The bar I have for Kate is so fucking low that I'm like, Kate did one thing and I'm really proud of her. And I acknowledge that. Uh, Kate lies at the beginning of this episode when she tells us she's been making Veda's baby food for six months because I remember this happening in real fucking time when Veda was like seven months. Kate posted that she just started making baby food for Veda and I remember a lot of people on Reddit were like, 
oh, that's weird, like, because Veda's going to be on solid soon. And Kate got real, like, uppity about how baby food is poison when you buy it from the market and everybody should be making their own baby food. And I don't understand how they're making their own baby food because Kate, when she likes something, she really leans into it and comes off as very judgmental and shitty. This is, like, a thing that Kate does that I've noticed. And... Um, then she met with, so she posted that in like November, December, and then she met with Little Spoon in January. So she absolutely had not been making babies, Veda's baby food for eight months or six months. Also, like Veda is only eight months in this. So she started making Veda's baby food when she was two months old. Like, what are you talking about? Oh, God. She says it's time consuming and a lot of work, which I have no opinion on because I've never made baby food. So she found this company called Little Food that she still lo- that she really loves and she wants to partner with. And so she's going to New York to meet them. I will say it's interesting that she's still like working with Little Food in the capacity, Little Spoon in the capacity that she is, because she's like promoting having their food sent to her so that she can promote it. But like her baby is over a year old now. So like how much baby food does a year old baby eat? I, my understanding is like not that much, and babies start eating solids. But I I also don't really know for sure. Um, Kate goes to this meeting with Little Spoon (laughs) in full hair and makeup in a very, it looks very weird. But you know what? Look, was it a little cringy? Yes, it was very cringy. This whole thing was very cringy. But Kate wanted to do something and she did it. And the company seemed really receptive to her and they partnered together. And for that, I say, brava, Kate, you did something. And that's great. She pitched an idea for a commercial and they loved it. They were super nice to her. She felt a lot of confidence with it. And like, that's good. I just don't really care that much about baby food. And I don't think Kate cares that much about baby food. She's like, I'm really passionate about baby food. And I'm like, are you? You're passionate about baby food. (laughs) Okay, Kate. Ay, 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 ay. Uh, let's talk about Macy, who her whole episode is about the fact that Bentley got a girlfriend and then he broke up with the girlfriend. And Macy is definitely becoming a little concerned about Bentley and his dating life and the fact that once, if you have teen parents, you're more likely to become a teen parent yourself. It's true for Macy. Macy's parents were teen parents and even though they talked about sex and protecting themselves, she still became a teen parent. And so it's really important for her that Bentley doesn't become a teen parent. She's talking to Taylor and basically asked Taylor if he will have a talk with Bentley to kind of gauge where he is. I think it was like she wanted him to do a twofold conversation, which is one, see like how far Bentley's going with these girls. That sounds crazy to say how far he's going. But I mean, like, is he holding hands? Is he kissing? Like, where is Bentley in his relationships as a 10-year-old? Which I had my first boyfriend when I was in fourth grade. I kissed a boy when I was, like, pecking, kissing. When I was, like, in fifth grade, I was making out by sixth grade. Like, I don't, I don't think Bentley is, I think Bentley's exactly where he's supposed to be, basically. He's in fifth grade, right? He's going to middle school next year. And I had boyfriends in fifth grade. And most, most, a lot of the kids in my class had boyfriends and girlfriends. I mean, we would go on little group dates and we would go to ice line skating rink and we would go to the movies, like, as groups. But we never, like, were having individual dates, really. But we were kissing, like, pecking and holding hands. And I think it's totally normal where little Bentley is. But Macy basically wants to figure out, like, is he kissing? What is he doing? Because 
how much of a birds and bees talk do we need to have? And she also wants to make sure that Bentley is respecting women and Taylor interjects. I think rightfully that they want Bentley to be respected as well, which I think is such an important conversation to have with your kids. I thought Taylor handled it really well. Like I was really proud of Macy and Taylor in this episode. I thought Macy and Taylor did a really good job. I think that nobody's parenting is perfect, obviously, and maybe they should be having more birds and bees talks with him. Um, but Macy does say, like, well, he knows what a penis is, he knows what a vagina is, but apparently he's, they haven't really talked to him about sex and having babies yet, which maybe it is time to talk about that. Um, maybe they are waiting a little long on that, but I, as far as the rest of it, I thought I really liked the conversation they had about it. Macy was like, well, Taylor, like, I want you to have the talk with Bentley because he wants to talk to you about stuff that he doesn't want to talk with me about. I want him to know that he can come to us with anything and that... <coughs> oh my God, I just choked on my own spit. <laughs> She's like, I also want him to understand that, like, he needs to treat women well. And I think it's so important that we talk to our children, boys and girls, about how they treat their boyfriends or girlfriends, but also how they are treated and emphasize that, like, you need to be treated well, just like you need to treat other people well. Also, I will, I want to give major props to uh, Macy, who continuously said Bentley's girlfriend or boyfriend. She said it, like, three different times. Like, she was very clear that Bentley can have a girlfriend or boyfriend. She wasn't just doing that thing where, like, love is love. Like, remember when Chelsea went to Pride and she's like, but... We all just, like, love each other. Like, I thought it was really good that Macy wanted... I mean, Taylor didn't say this, but I I hope Macy has a conversation with it. That, like, when she is talking about Bentley's love life, she's doing it in an inclusive way. And I was very impressed and happy with that. And that's how my mom raised me. Like, you know, from... I can remember being, like, five or six and my mom telling me, well, when you get a boyfriend or a girlfriend, like... I think it's really important how we talk to kids about this type of stuff and that this shit starts at a very young age. And if all your kid hears, if you if you have a boy and all he hears is about your future girlfriend, your future girlfriend, your girlfriend, your girlfriend, your girlfriend, then the message they get is that the only thing that's okay is that I have a girlfriend. Um, and I think that even if you were pretty sure your kid is straight, like it's really important to say things like whoever you decide to date. If you have a boyfriend, if you have a girlfriend or a boyfriend, it won't matter to us. Like, And not even, like, it won't matter to us, it'll be okay, but, like, casually in everyday conversations, making your language more inclusive, especially when it comes to your kids, is just so important. And it starts from such a young age, and I really thought that Macy was doing a good job being consciously inclusive with her language. So props to Macy on that. Macy, who, in my opinion, is having a pretty decent season when it comes to how she's using her platform. She did the birth control thing. She wants to sit on that board of the foundation. And she um, is now using, like, uh, LGBT-inclusive language when talking about who Bentley will date. So, like, hats off to Macy. That's really great. I hope that we see the rest of the moms follow suit. I was really glad to hear that. So we then get, in contrast, (laughs) a scene of Ryan and Mackenzie talking. And yes, Ryan had a chipped tooth in this scene. Here's the thing, guys. Like, drug addicts have bad teeth. I don't know what to tell you. I had a bunch of people be like, what's going on here? Why are his teeth like that? I don't know, because he's a drug addict. (laughs) Drug addicts don't take good care of their teeth. They have bad dental hygiene, and a lot of drugs make your teeth worse. Like, just because he has a friendship tooth doesn't mean that he's smoking meth. It just meant that he had friendship tooth. Um, 
Bentley, or excuse me, Ryan and Mackenzie talk about it, and they definitely are joking about it, and they're having, they're, like, joking about him being single again, and then Ryan says some fucked up shit where he's like, I think Bentley's gonna be a little sensitive when it comes to breakups. I think he's gonna be a real boo-hoo boy, and that girls are gonna break up with him just so that they can make him, like, make fun of him and have a scene when he cries about it. I'm like, what? Look, they weren't talking to Bentley, so... Is what Ryan was saying the end of the world? No. But I think it just shows how disconnected Ryan and Mackenzie are from parenting Bentley or being in a parenting role. I think that the fact that Mackenzie wasn't like, Ryan, don't say that. That's stupid. Like, it's okay if Bentley wants to cry about it. Uh, reflects poorly on her. I think they both sounded like fucking idiots. And I think MTV <laughs> did a really good job contrasting. <laughs> The way that Macy and Taylor were talking about this and the way that Ryan and Mackenzie were talking about this. However, I will say that Mackenzie and Taylor or Macy and Taylor were talking about this because they were talking about how they are going to talk to Bentley where Ryan and Mackenzie were just having a conversation between the two adults like kind of laughing at a kid. And that's definitely a different conversation. Like they were having two different conversations completely. And I don't think it's like strictly fair to compare what Ryan and Max said to Macy and Taylor because the intent of their conversations were very different. But I do think that MTV edited it that way on purpose so that we would realize like how fucked up Ryan and Mackenzie are basically. So we get the scene of Taylor talking to Bentley. Did you notice they're in that like big outhouse thing that's in the back? They have like this like 2,000 square foot garage that's in the back of their house. It can be like an indoor basketball court. It looked like they just had shit in theirs, but it's a huge space. So it's like has full electricity and heat and air conditioning and a bathroom, I believe, from the listing. But Taylor and Bentley are playing a game of ping pong and have a conversation. Uh, Taylor asked Bentley if he and the girlfriend were kissing and Bentley says no and Taylor says, you know, every year you get older, your girlfriends will get a little more serious and you'll get a little more serious about it. And I know your mom has talked to you about this, but you need to treat all girls with respect and all your girlfriends need to treat you with respect. I will say Taylor was not using the inclusive language here, but hopefully we'll get there. Uh, he also, he was like, you know, you shouldn't have a girlfriend just to have a girlfriend if she's not treating you well, that it's always okay to be single and be by yourself if somebody's not being respectful with you, which I thought was really good and important. I don't know if parents in general talk enough about this. Like, yes, we need to talk about our children respecting others, but also having self-respect for themselves. I thought that was really good the way that Taylor said it. Um, he also says that Bentley can always come to both Macy and Taylor, but he understands that there are a lot of things that Bentley just doesn't want to talk to his mom about, so he can come and talk to Taylor about it, or if he wants, he can come and ask Taylor, like, how to talk to his mom about it. I thought that was really nice, basically being like, if you want to talk to something about your mom, but you're not really sure how you should word it or what you should say, I'll help you, and then we can talk to your mom together. It was just really... It was really nice. It was really, really nice. It was, I will say it was nice in a couple ways. I thought it was appropriate for camera, which is always kind of a big deal. You know, it was always kind of a, like, is this an appropriate conversation to be having with your 10-year-old for national television? And usually the answer is no, but sometimes the answer is yes. And I thought this was cute. It wasn't embarrassing to Bentley. Taylor wasn't pushing him for details. He just said, like, well, did you kiss her? Why did you break up? And Bentley's just kind of like, ah, I just wanted to. And Taylor didn't push her. 
Taylor asked if he kissed her and Bentley said no. And then that was kind of the end of like the physical touch part of the conversation. And then it was just about respect and talking to his parents and being a good role model and things like that. And it wasn't embarrassing or too personal. I thought Taylor did a really good job making this camera appropriate. I also just, I just thought it was a good conversation. And it shows what a good stepdad Taylor is and what a good dad he is. I think Taylor's a really good dad. When Macy and Taylor recap their conversation, Macy says as much. She gives some really nice compliment that, you know, she thinks he's such a good dad and that when Bentley is her age, she'll say the same. She's like, I just need you to know that you're a very good father. And the producer asks if Ryan should have this talk and Macy's like, honestly, I'm going to be honest here. Like, no, he shouldn't. (laughs) She's like, I just don't think he, I don't think he has bad intentions, but I don't think he could be serious. And I think that this basically being like, Ryan can't handle this. And Taylor's like, you know what? I don't have anything nice to say, so I'm just not going to say anything at all. (laughs) Which is, I mean, it's true. This is not an appropriate conversation for Ryan to have with Bentley because Ryan doesn't have a fatherly role with Bentley. This is a conversation for his male parental figure to have with him, and that's Taylor. I mean, maybe if any, if anybody in the Edwards family was going to do it, it would be Larry, because Larry is his male parental figure in the Edwards family. And I mean, do I want Larry to be having this conversation with Bentley? No, because I'm sure it's very outdated and old school. But when it comes to who has a fatherly role in Bentley's life, it's Taylor and Larry. Ryan is not included in this conversation, so it'd be silly to pretend that Ryan should be having this conversation. Anyway, I thought this was a really nice episode for Maley, Macy, and Taylor. I found it to be really sweet. I thought that it was appropriate, inclusive, honestly, all positives. I have all positives to say about Macy and Taylor in this episode. I I was like a little about how this is going to go because I do think that the kids' privacy should be respected a little bit at least, but it seemed like Bentley was okay and into this conversation and that it was appropriate. And like I said, it was camera appropriate, which is really important. And yeah, I I liked seeing it. Also, I did see a viral thread um, with somebody that had like 2,000 tweet or 2,000 retweets that was like, y'all look at how old we are. Look at how big Bentley is. Like obviously for people that haven't really watched since 16 Pregnant or Early Teen Mom stuff and that went a little viral so yeah that's just literally means nothing I'm just telling you I saw a viral tweet from a non-teen mom twitter (laughs) okay uh, let's round the corner with Mackenzie oh Mac so Mackenzie's back from Florida and she's really worried because Gannon is acting strangely I don't think strangely she's just worried about Gannon and how he's dealing with Angie dying remember Angie and Gannon were very close Josh and Mackenzie lived with Angie until Gannon was like five so Angie and Gannon were very very close Gannon is the oldest he understands the most what's going on and she's worried about Gannon because there's been a couple incidents um she talks to Josh about it and basically says she thinks Jaxie's doing okay because Jaxie is Um, like, showing her emotions. When she feels emotional, she's emotional. Apparently, Brad also said that um, Jaxie's the only one of his grandkids that will actually, like, come up to him and talk to her, talk to him about Angie. She openly is talking about Angie, and Mackenzie really feels like Jaxie is dealing with it. What she's worried about is Gannon, because there have been a couple times where she's found Gannon crying, and, like, As soon as she finds him, he wipes his tears and, like, denies that he was crying. 
And there was also an incident where he went to a sleepover and the mom of the friend brought him home at like 11 and Gannon like wouldn't really say why. He was just upset. And so Gannon, Mackenzie's basically just worried that Gannon is bottling up all his feelings. Josh says that he's not worried about Gannon at all. He's actually worried about Jaxie because her expressing her feelings is really making him uncomfortable. Basically, like last week, Josh and Mackenzie are once again or two weeks ago, having a conversation uh, about the two of them through their children. <laughs> Which is really quite unwell. <laughs> the What Gannon describes to me, it sounds like Gannon's having panic attacks. Um, so basically, Gannon said, they kind of confront Gannon, not confront, but they have a conversation with Gannon in his room, Josh and Mackenzie. And Mackenzie kind of puts him on the spot and is like, well, why did I find you crying? And Gannon's like, you didn't. That didn't happen. And Mackenzie's like, yes, it did. Like, you can talk about it. But it didn't really feel like a safe space for Gannon, in my opinion. Like, the cameras were there. He obviously is uncomfortable with his emotions. So, like, putting, like, making him on camera admit that he was crying. This is, okay, this is an example of things I feel are appropriate conversations for camera, things I don't feel are appropriate conversations for camera. Bentley and Taylor, good. This conversation with Gannon, not good. Because clearly Gannon is having issues showing any emotion. He doesn't feel comfortable showing any emotion. He doesn't think he should be showing any emotion. So then what does Mackenzie do? She makes him sit down and openly talk about his feelings in front of a camera person and a producer and God knows who else is in that room. I don't think that was the right space to talk with Gannon. This should have absolutely been an off-camera conversation and probably without Josh in the room, to be honest. It probably should have just been Gannon and Mackenzie so that they could, like, really at least talk. I think that this was totally weird way to do it, and this wasn't for anybody but the cameras, and that's sad to watch. It makes me feel sad for Gannon. Um... So Josh asked them what happened at the other people's houses and why he was coming home. And Gannon says, I just feel weird and uncomfortable. There's this thing about me that when I go to other people's houses, I just feel scared and like something bad is going to happen. Oh, baby. That made me so sad to hear. I actually was pretty impressed with how well Gannon was articulating how he felt. I think that's a pretty clear explanation of having a panic attack or anxiety from maybe not a panic attack, but having bad anxiety from an eight-year-old. Like, for him to say, like, first of all, when he said, uh, I just feel weird and uncomfortable, those are two really descriptive words, I think, for an eight-year-old boy to say. Like, what he's saying is, like, I don't feel... I mean, he's saying exactly, I feel weird and uncomfortable, which is something that adults can relate to, I think. And then when he says, like, there's this thing about me that when I go to other people's houses... Um, I think this thing is anxiety and that's what he's describing and he's like I just feel scared and like something bad is gonna happen so obviously he's dealing with a lot of fear his anxiety is manifesting his fear he was pretty clear on exactly how he was feeling I thought it was I like I thought that was pretty good like he expressed himself pretty well for a kid that apparently hates to talk about his feelings at all so, basically, Mackenzie's like, I just want you to know you can talk to us at any time. I don't know. I just wasn't impressed with this whole conversation. I didn't think that Gannon felt that it was sincere. I didn't think that it really was that sincere. I mean, I don't think Mackenzie's saying, like, you can't talk to me. And I think Mackenzie is worried about Gannon's anxiety. But I think that this was just a not good way to go about it. So, after the fact, Josh and Mackenzie are talking about it. And, oh, this is when they're talking about being more worried about which kid 
like I said, they're really just working out their couple dynamics uh, through their children, which is quite unhealthy. <laughs> it seems like quite an unhealthy thing to do. So Mackenzie's like, well, I'm really worried because clearly he has anxiety and it's coming out as fear. And Josh is like, well, take him to the doctor. And this is when I wanted to fucking scream. Mackenzie's like, no, I'm not taking him to the doctor because doctors put you on medicine. And when I got put on medicine, I went crazy and I was suicidal and I crashed my car. So I won't take him to the doctor. <sighs> okay. Is it possible that Mackenzie got put on an SSRI and she had that like adverse reaction to it? A hundred percent. Absolutely. I believe her. Uh, being suicidal is a bad reaction to anti or to SSRIs. Totally, totally valid. Is this a different conversation than what needs to be talked about with Gannon? Yes. Mackenzie's reaction to SSRIs has absolutely nothing to do with Gannon. Also, Mackenzie needs to get herself back to a doctor because she can barely get out of bed. So the fact that Mackenzie is anti-medicine and anti-doctors is very scary, but we've known this for a long time because she believes that she prayed away her depression, which is an interesting thing to say for somebody who has clearly been in the grips of chronic depression for many years. Um, also, she crashed her car. When she brought that up, I was a little confused because according to her, Mackenzie, I'm pretty sure what she's talking about is when she bought a brand new SUV cash. She was able to drive it off the lot without insurance. She didn't get insurance on it. Josh was not answering his calls because he was out hog hunting or something. So she was driving all over town looking for him. AK Josh was cheating on her and she was driving all over town looking for him. And according to her, her blood sugar was out of whack and she passed out behind the wheel of the car and totaled her brand new bought and cash car without insurance. I've never heard her mention um, antidepressants in relation to this before, so I'm a little curious about that. I'm not saying it's not possible, but according to her, this has always been a diabetes issue. And of course, an irresponsibility issue with driving a car off a lot that didn't have fucking insurance on it. Idiotic. But, like, you should, <laughs> you should never take the car off a lot without insurance on it, even if you paid in full and you aren't required to have insurance on it. In a lot of states, you can't drive the car off the lot without insurance on it. Uh, and usually you can't because most people don't buy cars in cash. They finance their cars and you can't get financing without having insurance on your car. But I guess because she had, she didn't have financing, she just bought it in cash. Nobody asked her if she had insurance on it. So she totaled like a $40,000 car and all that money went away, which is, I mean, crazy. But Mackenzie to immediately be like, I will not take Gannon to a doctor because doctors put you on meds and meds are evil is so toxic. It's so unhealthy. I'm not saying Gannon should be put on meds. I think it would be crazy if like the first reaction to this was like, put Gannon on meds. But clearly Mackenzie is worried about his anxiety and his mental health. Clearly she knows she has anxiety and mental health issues and she wants to do something for it. And the obvious answer is to take him to counseling. But I think Mackenzie is anti-counseling. And if she takes Gannon to counseling, then she'll have to admit that she needs to go to counseling. And here's the thing. If Gannon has a lot of issues and has to go on meds, he should be able to go on meds. Um, I understand everybody is allowed to parent their kids how they want to. But I think a parent being completely anti-medication for their children is quite wrong, actually. Do I agree with over-medicating children just to medicate them? No, of course. But I think that depriving your children of medicine they may need because you had a bad experience with medication is really illogical and hurtful to children. And I'm really worried about Gannon that 
Mackenzie clearly believes that he is having anxiety issues and has literally no solution to helping him beyond talking to him. What the fuck is Mackenzie going to do to help Gannon? She can't help herself. Like, she's not a trained professional. She's having her own issues. Like I said, she can barely get out of bed. So why would, like, Mackenzie being anti-doctor for herself and for her children is really worrying to me. I have a feeling that this Gannon having mental health issues thing is just going to go on because Mackenzie's just going to ignore it. Because Mackenzie can't take care of herself, and I think this is now extending to her children, but I think it's been that way pre-her mom dying, pre-her mom getting sick. Um, I don't think that this is a result of her mom getting sick. I think her anti-medication and anti-therapy leanings are long and will be hurtful to her children. The fact that that whole family isn't in grief counseling right now is alarming to me. Like, Jaxie apparently is having, like, emotional meltdown fits. Gannon, she's finding him crying all alone. He's having panic attacks or being terrified that he has to be brought home from sleepovers when that wasn't an issue before. Like, get these kids to a licensed counselor and let them get help. And Mackenzie, you too. Oh, I'm so worried about this. And then in the scene for next week, apparently she is being called to truancy court, which I guess if your kids miss enough school, you have to go to truancy court. The school thing is like, I'm obviously very pro-education, but I can understand that when Mackenzie's life was falling apart, maybe the kids going to school was falling to the wayside and I get it and I'm not going to call her a neglectful parent for that but I do have to wonder if this is a long-term issue that predates Angie getting very sick. I would be curious because Mackenzie has always been kind of a mess and Mackenzie has always been pretty irresponsible. Mackenzie's always been pretty unorganized. Mackenzie also has always really struggled with her mental health and I just am worried about I'm worried about that whole family and those kids. And with that positive note, <laughs> Thank you guys so much. I hope everyone has a good week. If you want to come listen to way, way, way more content from me, you can come on over to my Patreon at patreon.com slash Liz Bentley. This week I did, of course, a Sister Wives episode, but I also did episodes on, I'm looking up, I record so much I don't even know. Um, I did another My Big Fat American G Wedding episode. I did an episode on Tana, Mon- Tana Mojo. I was looking at her name, and when I look at Tana Mojo's name, how it's spelled, my brain automatically wants me to pronounce it a different way. So I did an episode on Tana. I did an episode on Trading Spouses, the iconic wife swap knockoff with Tomlin. Uh, Last week, I did an episode on Cole and Sav from YouTube. This week, I have upcoming an episode on Laguna Beach that's so good. Malls and I recorded an episode on YouTube breakups. Just a lot of fun stuff. So if you're interested in joining my Patreon, like I said, patreon.com slash Liz Bentley. I kind of have a feeling it's only going to run another month through June, through the end of June. Uh, I'm not... I don't really think it's going to be around for July. So if you want to get all this content, come find me. If not, thanks for listening to Feathers My Hair. Appreciate you all. I hope everybody has a good week. And I will talk to you next week when I am 32 years old. Is that how old I'll be next week? Yeah, when I'm 32 years old. By the time you hear me, I'll be 32 years old. Isn't that crazy? Wow. I'm like, now I'm like, is that how old I am? (laughs) I've like stopped keeping track of my age. It means nothing to me. Anyway, kiss, kiss. Love you guys. Bye. This podcast is brought to you by Solid Listen Network. Find me on Instagram at feathers underscore pod.